His pregnancy convulsions dragged him out of unconsciousness. They were stronger and more urgent. Through his delirium, he perceived a drip, drip, drip of blood from something which was not even a corpse anymore in the impact harness above him. He held his right hand in front of his face, unsheathed and retracted his claws, and made himself count from one thumb across four fingers to the other thumb. The convulsions went away, and he slumped back. When he woke again, his head felt clearer, but he couldn't detect anything except his head. He was eyes and ears and nose and mouth, deep in an impact harness, watching and hearing and smelling and tasting the wreckage of the lifeboat around him. Hours must have passed since the crash, and still the crash had not finished. The forces, counterforces, creakings and reverberations of the impact were still going on as the hull settled. His convulsions came again, and he used the pain to make himself re-inhabit his body. Consciousness returned, warily, to his arms and chest and stomach and legs, and he probed for damage. There was a dull throbbing pain in his side, quite distinct from the sharper pain of the convulsions. In view of what he had to do, both the dull pain and the fact of his pregnancy could be hindrances. The thought that his death in the lifeboat would have been a bigger hindrance gave him some ironic amusement. But not for long. Not even the fetus inside him was as important as the need to get out of the wreckage and tell someone. Thinking this, he sank back and fell asleep. When he woke, it was midday. The hulk of the lifeboat still creaked and groaned, recounting the minutiae of its crash like an old person repeating the details of a surgical operation. He got up, stretched, and wasted valuable time on a task he could not leave without performing, though he knew its result. Not only were the others dead, all seven of the people he managed to get into the lifeboat before the ship was destroyed, but they were over-dead. Between them, they had enough death for seventy. He continued checking the hull. There was no communications equipment functioning or repairable. He considered searching the wreckage for weapons, but decided that would be a waste of time. He knew about the desert predators on Bast Three, but he was, after all, a Sakharan, and should need no weapons. A voice inside him, perhaps the fetus, said, You're a pregnant Sakram, and you aren't made for deserts. He ignored it. Time was beginning to worry him. He didn't have much of a plan, but then he wasn't in much of a situation. The lifeboat had crashed in a desert which extended for at least ninety miles in each direction. He had limited food and water, and pregnancy would impair his hunting skills, and there were no Commonwealth settlements or bases in the desert. He would simply walk. If he kept in a straight line, avoided the rock outcrops and stayed in the open, he might be seen by one of the patrols overflying the desert. It wasn't much of a plan. But to survive the crash and then not give himself any chance was unthinkable. He gouged a large arrow in the sand in his chosen direction and did a final check of supplies. Then he moved off. A few minutes later, 
Four shadows detached themselves from the darkness of some neighboring rocks to follow. After he left the wreck, the sand underneath it started teeming. As in most ecologies on most planets, nothing on Bast Three would be left to waste.